Hi, this is Travis from Spirit and Truth Podcast. Today we're going to be looking at the uh, a portion of scripture from Romans chapter 7. Uh, but I, first I want to give it a little bit of context about what Paul is talking about because I don't want to mislead anybody or make anybody feel like I'm saying something I'm not saying. Because... What happens with scripture, uh, doctrinal teaching, and all that stuff these days? People take things and they go extreme one way or extreme the other way, or they just completely, you know, take it out of context and make it mean something completely different than what Paul was actually saying, or or John, or whoever else. Um, authored books from the Bible, Luke, so on and so forth. Uh, but to give it a little bit of context, Romans chapter 6, Paul is describing how um, through belief in Christ and through baptism and all that stuff, we put our old nature, our sin nature, to death. We are dead to sin and we are alive to God through Christ Jesus and you know earlier in the book he talks about being righteous through faith it's it's a re, it's a reoccurring theme where he's basically he's got his thesis point which is that we're we are made righteous through belief in Christ and he breaks it down and, and explains what that means and what it looks like to be a believer in Christ i think a lot of times the way that romans 7 is preached, it's kind of misleading. And I'll, I'll get into that and why I think that. But in Romans 7, Paul is talking about the law and how because of sin, he's unable to keep the law. And because of the because the law points out his flaws and what he's doing wrong, it only makes it worse. Sin makes, or the law makes sin worse. But not because the law is bad, but because the law is good. Now that sounds confusing, but I'm going to try to explain it. What he's getting at, in my opinion, is it, uh, I used to watch this old gospel kids show called Gospel Bill. Okay. And they had an episode where there was a rope hanging on, hanging down in front of the door of this little shop that people used to go in and, and buy groceries. Well, there's this rope hanging down there and it has this note on it that says, do not pull this rope. And he pulls the rope. And essentially that's what Paul's saying. Um, he uses the example of coveting. Um, he wouldn't know that coveting was wrong if it weren't for the law. But because he knew it was wrong, it created, it caused him to covet more. Do not pull this rope. Do not pull this rope is the law. It's, it's written out right there on in black and white. And you can read it. The sin in you wants to pull that rope. The part of you that, that doesn't want to obey God wants to pull that rope. And I talked about this in a, in a different podcast where, where I was going on about sin. And sin isn't necessarily the actions that we commit. It's something altogether different. It's something that drives us to do wrong. It drives us to do sinful things. So... Instead of looking at sin as being an alcoholic or a womanizer, look at sin as being the thing that causes you to want to do those things. Paul gets into that kind of with in Romans 6 where he talks about that your members or your body, your body parts, your body is a slave to whoever you obey 
whether to sin, to death, or by obedience to righteousness, right? So if you are obeying your flesh or your your natural desire to have sex with whoever you meet or whoever you want, then you're a slave to that sin, a slave to sin. And that slavery causes you to be sexually promiscuous. Now, though, because of Christ, you have righteousness. Righteousness isn't our acts or our deeds that are make us righteous. It is what's inside of us that drives us to do what is right. So it's the opposite of sin. Righteousness is the opposite of sin. So when righteousness is accounted to us, it is as if we're being recreated into a new being that is that operates on a new operating system or totally different operating system. It's more like like if you had a, a gas car or a truck and you put a diesel converter in it and you run your truck on diesel now. So you can't put gas in it to run it. You have to put diesel in it to run it. So basically... You've been converted to a being that runs on righteousness. Whereas before you were a being that ran on sin. But see, sometimes the reason why Paul tells us that we are to reckon ourselves dead to sin is because sometimes we forget in our old nature, that kind of underlying nature that's within us that still desires to do the wrong thing is still at work in our bodies. So, and that's what Romans 7 is basically about. He's basically saying that there's a part of him, his humanity, that desires to do the wrong thing. But there's this other thing that's inside of him that was given him because he was made righteous before in God's eyes through Christ Jesus, through his belief in Christ Jesus. There's another thing that's inside of him that's telling him not to sin. That's telling him to do the right thing. And some people may go, well, I had a conscience before I was saved, and I knew what was right and wrong. And that's basically what Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1. Okay, your conscience basically betrays you because it's written it's written on your heart to know right from wrong. You know right from wrong. Okay, but that's not what this is about. This isn't about right and wrong, what we're talking about right now. We're talking about what drives a person. Okay, Paul's basically saying is that because he's saved, okay, because he has the Lord Jesus Christ, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and he has the Holy Spirit, he is a new creation in Christ. He is dead to sin. So, Paul basically in, in chapter 7 of Romans, he starts talking about, and he says, I'm talking to people who know the law. And according to the law, if a woman is married to a man and she leaves that man and goes and is with another man she commits adultery but if she leave if her husband dies and she leaves and and marries another man she's not an adulteress she's not in adultery because her husband is dead okay that's why it's important for us to understand what he's talking about in Romans 6 that we are dead to sin so we're no longer bound to the law of sin and death because it, because the law of sin and death, we, we're dead to that. We're no longer bound to it. When Paul says we're not under the law, he's basically saying that we're free to do the right thing. Because in, in Romans 7, what he's describing is the inability to do what is right and wrong or to do the right thing because he wants and desires in his body wants to do the wrong thing but he wants to do the right thing so he's got this conflict and some people preach it like he's saying that he's schizophrenic like he's got two different personalities and, and one personality wants 
to do what is right and the other personality wants to do what is wrong and he's constantly fighting and battling with uh, a desire to sin but what I'm what what I'm seeing in this isn't that at all what I'm seeing is that Paul is describing a death to that he's saying uh, that anyone who's trying to do this apart from the Holy Spirit and trying to do this by their own free will and by their own you know, gritting their teeth and white knuckling their way into righteousness. They can't, they're not going to be able to do that. There's always going to be that conflict. There's always going to be that thing that just says, no, I'm going to do what is wrong because you haven't, because you haven't overcome sin through Christ, through your faith in Christ, who he actually defeated sin. And because he defeated sin, it's imputed, righteousness is imputed to you or given to you, or attributed to you because of Christ. Man, this is really hard to explain. But let me go back to that, that point I made a minute ago, where I think I think that makes it more clear. We'll go back to that, because because of Christ, and what Christ did on the cross, and because you are baptized into death, okay, you're dead to sin. When Christ died, you died, okay? So you're not divorced from sin, you're not divorced from the law, you are dead to it, okay? So now you are free... You're free from the thing that prevented you from living a righteous life. Now, when you read the law says, do not covet, you actually have within you the, the, desire, the desire to not covet. Does that make sense? That's why in, Paul, in Romans chapter 8, if you read all the way through, he goes into Romans chapter 8, where he says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Because why? Because they're free to live righteously. Why? Because sin is no longer no longer the driving force within them. It's not the fuel that that keeps them going. I think I think part of Romans 7 uh Paul says before the law you were free from righteousness. But what good was it? What good did it do to you? What how did it benefit your life? When you were free from righteousness, when you didn't have something telling you that you need to live a certain way in order to have a prosperous happy not happy um that's kind of a uh, kind of a term these days where people people turn happiness into the only goal that's not our goal our goal isn't to be happy okay i'm gonna get on my soapbox for a second is or this whole thing isn't about us being happy or feeling good or only good vibes man i only want good vibes if you ain't got good vibes and get out of my way no that's not how we that's not how we as Christians operate, okay? It's not about good vibes. It's not about being happy. God doesn't... This is going to sound harsh, but I'm not being harsh. I'm, I'm just being realistic. It's not about you being happy. And I hate to say that it this way, but it, it, it kind of makes the point. God doesn't care about your happiness, okay? He cares about your righteousness. He cares about your soul. He cares about where you're putting your attention, and if your happiness is taking you away from what is righteous, your happiness is causing you to sin. It's causing you to commit immoral acts. There's some people out there divorcing their husbands or wives. Why? I'm just not happy. I'm not happy in the relationship. We weren't happy. We weren't getting along. That's that's wrong. That's a sin. Okay. If your happiness is taking you away from living a righteous life, it's doing exactly what Paul was talking about wanting to do the right thing, but unable to do it. Why? Because you're driven by something other than righteousness. But it's it's sin masked in something 
some feel-good BS. And I, I mean, I'm sorry for saying it that way, but that's what it is. It's this new thing. It's not really new. I shouldn't say it's new. It's, it's become more popular. Let's put it that way. It's not new that people feel that way. I mean, people have always been just kind of wishy-washy when it came to their doctrines, which is sad. But that's that's what it's become. That's what's become popular. That's what's become the way people think. Why? Because uh, there's a lot of factors that cause people to feel that way, think that way. Only good vibes. Only good vibes. Don't ever do anything that offends anybody. Don't make anybody uncomfortable. Right? I'm sorry. I I I listen to a lot of different podcasts and a lot. There's a lot wish swishing around in my brain right now. That you know, and I really feel like I'm being not explaining this very well. Okay, but I'm 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 trying to keep on track here. Okay. Romans 6, we're dead to sin, okay? Romans 7, free to live righteous. Romans 8, no condemnation. There's no shame. There's no... Romans 8 is just awesome. And I'm going to I'm gonna get into that because I'm going to read that and kind of pick that apart and, and kind of come up with what I'm going to talk about on my next podcast because Romans 8 is, is like... Paul's got this progression going where he's basically describing... And brought, like, I'm giving you the broad strokes of it, what it means to be saved by grace. It doesn't mean, being free from the law doesn't mean that the law doesn't matter. Being free from the law doesn't mean that it's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to be abusive to your wife. It doesn't mean that it's okay to be an alcoholic. It doesn't mean that it's okay to still kill destroy. It doesn't mean any of those things. It doesn't mean that you can go out and worship whatever God you want. I don't know where where this idea comes from. I used to have it. I used to struggle with that because I was like, well, if we're free from the law, why does it matter what I do? There's nothing. If I'm free from the law, then the law is, that's, that's Old Testament. Okay. We're in the new covenant and the new covenant, I don't have to live under the law. And in a sense, that's true. It is, I mean, that's what Paul says. We are not under the law. We're not under the law. We don't live, we don't, uh, but the, there's a, there's a, there's a subtle difference. It's subtle, but it's very important. Okay. So this, it's subtle because it's just a slight, slightly different way of looking at it and a slightly different angle of approaching the law. Okay. When we approach the law now, it's not from a point of making ourselves righteous. We approach the law from the angle of I'm already righteous. You don't resist coveting your your neighbor's wife or car or house. You don't resist doing that because it makes you righteous. You resist it because you are righteous. You're not making yourself more of anything. And what is grace? Grace is the power. Grace is the power to say no. We're saved by grace, right? We have the power of God. Uh, Paul says that he has this, he's got this thorn in his side and he goes to God three times, which doesn't mean that he prayed three times. It means that it struck him three separate times and he was 
going through this struggle three separate times and three times he had to fight it. And every time God said, no, my grace is sufficient. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. But he said to me, he's going to God. He's asking him, you know, take this from me. He says, but he said to me, which is God replying to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Do you notice the connection between God's grace and God's power? My grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in what? In your weakness, in your inability to do it. So what I'm getting at is this. Romans 7, that is it in a nutshell right there. Your ability to do it right is made perfect in weakness because God's grace is his power. It just dawns on dawned on me one day where I was just when I was reading it because I had so much confusion about it. I had so much confusion about where does God's law fit in this? Because I hear preachers talk about God's law all the time. And I'd always think, but we're not under law. We're not under the law. We're not under the law. That isn't the point. Wait, what? You're, what are you saying? You're saying it's not the point that we're not under the law? I'm not talking about us earning our salvation. I'm talking about us living it. Are living it out. Paul talks a lot about living a life worthy of the calling. What does that mean? What does that mean if this is it's just this airy, fairy, farty, poopy, religious, pseudo-religious garbage? Because it's just like, it's like, okay, so if I'm under grace and that means it's okay because... I'm not under the law, and there's nothing keeping me from being able to do what I want and whatever makes me happy. I've been like, I've thought like that. It was kind of like this this thing they call greasy grace, and every time I heard someone say greasy grace, it upset me. It made me feel upset because I felt like they were cheapening the grace of God. And some do. Some do. Some do preach works, salvation through works. I'm, I'm not talking about salvation through works. I'm talking about living a life worthy of the call. And I mess up. I mess up sometimes. I do. I, I mess up uh, more than I'd like to admit. I make some mistakes, and I've made some of the same mistakes over and over again in my life. But that's that sin nature that I, I give too much leeway to. God's grace is sufficient. It is It is there for me, and it, and, and it's by His grace that I even recognize that I'm doing the wrong thing. What is the point of all this? What am I getting at? We have a certain lot. There's a certain standard that we live by. But the standard that we live by is not based on our ability to do it on our own. It is not based on our ability to be holy. Now, a lot of people preach holiness, which is important. Holiness is important. But how are you getting that holiness? Are you doing something um, religious, some kind of ceremony? That makes you feel holy so that you act right? Are you, for instance, uh, I know people that think God only answers their prayers if they're fasting. Well, you turn, you've just turned uh, around and added a work to grace. You've taken a outward, you're taking in something that God can use and sometimes does. But I think it's because he honors us even in our, in our weak effort. Sometimes God answers us when we're fasting because that's the only time we believe. We feel like we've earned 
something. So now our expectations are up. Our expectations are up. So then we believe more. And because we believe more and we have the faith more, he answers our prayers. Is it possible that maybe if you just believed him, believed for him to do it without the fasting, that you would get the same result? It's possible. Now, I'm not trying to disparage fasting. I'm getting ready to do a fast with Luengo. I'm fine with that. Okay? He's doing the Jesus fast. I signed up for it. I don't know Luengo, by the way. I don't want anybody to think I do. Okay? I don't know him. Um, I did attend International House of Prayer University, and he was there at the time. Anyway, so what I what I what I'm really wanting us to think about is our approach to things. Are we seeking to manipulate God through our righteous acts? Are we seeking to earn more of God's grace? I I remember hearing people talk about increasing grace in your life. Increasing God's grace in your life by doing this or doing this. That's that's a that's really rocky ground to me. That's rocky ground because if you're doing something to earn a gift, what does that tell you? What does that what does that tell you? It's not a gift. <laughs> you can't earn more of something that's freely given. Can you have more grace in your life? I honestly, uh, well, actually, I do kind of know because if I didn't have more grace in my life, I'd probably be dead already. But I have in no way in my life done anything to earn it. We have to discourage ourselves. We have to discourage this idea of earning grace and using language that suggests that you can get more of it by doing uh, certain religious acts, such as fasting or taking communion or going to church or witnessing to the lost or feeding the poor or clothing the naked or putting shoes on bare feet. These are all wonderful things, but we can't expect that we're earning something for it. More grace, nonetheless. We're not earning grace by doing good things. We're doing good things because righteousness is our operating system. We don't look at God as our Santa Claus. He's not making a list of check who's being naughty and who's being nice and and all the good kids get good gifts and all the bad kids get coal. This isn't about salvation. I'm not talking about salvation. I have to keep saying that because a lot of people will they don't they can't get past the foundation. They're stuck on the foundation. They keep teaching the same thing. They never or because that's all they learn. Why? Because they read Romans 7 and see a license to sin. They see even after reading Romans 6, where it starts out with, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? Romans 7 is not there to contradict Romans 6. Romans 6, dead to sin, alive to righteousness. Romans 7, free to live righteous despite your human nature, despite the part of you that seeks to break the law. The law is good. Okay? Paul makes it clear over and over again in Romans chapter 7. It is not the law's fault. It is sin's fault. The law simply makes sin evident. It makes sin increase. Why? Well, I, I, I've thought about that because 
sin does what? Sin does whatever it wants, right? So sin does whatever it wants. Then the law comes along. The law says, you can't do that. But I want him. Then you do it. What's the result of doing something you know you're not supposed to? Guilt. What's the result of guilt? Shame. What's the result of shame? Wanting to hide. Wanting to feel better. The law seems like a bad thing because we're sinners. But because of God and his beautiful, wonderful son who came and died on a cross, was resurrected, was, and then ascended to the right hand of the Father, was enthroned at the right hand of the Father, is now making intercession for us, and he also sent us the Holy Spirit. Because of that, we can live righteously. Why? Because we have something that desires to live righteous. Whereas before, all we had, all they had was the law. The law was a list of things they can and can't do. And you had sin, who desired to do the, I, whatever it can't do, it wanted to do, whatever it can't do, it wanted to do, and whatever it's supposed to do, it doesn't want to do. Which is exactly what Paul is describing here. Right? It just, just think about it and pray about it and listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you're saved by works. But the law is good. We live according to the law. But not because we're under it. Not because we're under the law or in. we're not subjected to it. It's become what we desire. Free to live righteous. It is for freedom that we have been set free. I'm gonna end on. I'm gonna end with a. I'm gonna end with a, a story about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve are in the garden. This kind of this kind of uh, goes along with what Paul was talking about in Romans chapter seven. And the the verse that made me think of it was where he, when he said, <clears throat> or maybe it was in Romans six. Either way, he said uh, before the law, before you knew the law, you were free from righteousness. Now Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve are in the garden. They're having a good old time, and the the deceiver comes in and convinces Eve to partake of the fruit of a tree they were told not to eat from. And that tree was called the knowledge of good and evil. That sounds like law to me. That sounds like right and wrong, right? The knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. The knowledge of of uh all this stuff, Adam and Eve have been, who knows how long they've been in this garden, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right, and then there's the tree of life, and I don't recall there being any scripture about God telling them not to eat from the tree of life, but they never did, but there's this tree, the tree of knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge of good and evil, the deceiver comes, tells them, what does he tell them? God doesn't want you to eat from this tree because if you eat this fruit you will have you will be like him knowing right from wrong knowing good from evil you'll be like him knowing good from evil and that sound like Romans 7 the law is good sin is evil sin is the thing 
that causes you to not want to obey the law? See, Satan knew that if he got them to eat from it, he'd have them. He'd be able to turn them into somebody who self-centered and consumed by their own desires. And even when they were told right from wrong, even when they were told not to do something, they would still do it. He knew that he'd be able to trap them in a cycle of guilt and shame. So they go and they eat from this tree. Right? Where'd the serpent go? The serpent's still there. He's kind of hanging out. And then all of a sudden they hear something coming. Someone's coming in and they realize, and they hide. They hide in the bushes and the shrubs and, and they, they're just kind of like, you know, hiding out. God's calling out, Adam, Eve, where are you? You know. And he finds them. He says, well, what are you doing? So we hit. We, we heard you coming and we hid. Because we, we were naked and we wanted we didn't want you to see us naked and and just a paraphrase obviously but and Jesus, and God's like well, well who told you you were naked well what does that mean who told you you were naked knowledge of good and evil instantly there was shame there was shame. The thing that prevented them, the thing that caused them to become something other than what God created them to be had now been birthed in them. Sin. And God lays out the game plan after that. You know, the serpent and Jesus is going to come crush the head of the serpent and he will crush your head and you will bruise his heel. And it talks about the whole shebang right there. He lays it all out. Now, then you get to the crucifixion. They act. That if they had known who he really was, they would not have crucified him. And they would have won. I think that if Jesus hadn't to come and accomplished what he had accomplished... All of us, none of us would be here. The, the world would have been annihilated and destroyed. It was like, you know, God, Jesus could have been like, you know what, Father, I, I'm not going to do this. I don't want to do this. I'm going to come home. God would have been like, all right, come on, let's go. And bam, it would have been over. It had to happen. Jesus had to do it. And I don't understand completely why, but he did. And part of it is because of this, what Roman, what he's talking about in Romans chapter 7. The thing that prevents us from being able to live a life pleasing to God, to live a life that was intended before the fall, that, that, that sin that is in us had to be nullified. So, praise God, praise God, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. That, that, it, you know, the thought of it, the thought of how Jesus had to go through what he went through and all this stuff has become a problem for some people that are believers. They believe in Jesus, but they, they don't understand why Jesus 
had to come and die on the cross and they make Jesus and the Father as if they aren't working together. And they make it sound like Jesus was being abused by his cosmic abusive father. But I want people to stop and think about this for just one second. Jesus made the choice to come from, from glory as a baby. Jesus left heaven to come here as a baby. And when he came here as a baby, he lived his life just like everybody else did. He lived, you know, he went through puberty. He learned to trade. He loved his mother. He, 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 he buried his father. He grew and he matured and grew into a man. He lived his life as a human being. That was his choice. He had 12 disciples. He started a ministry. He went on the road. He healed the sick, raised the dead, gave sight to the blind, healed deaf people. A woman with the issue of blood. It goes on and on and on. He turns water into wine. He did miraculous things. He taught the people the heart of God. He was the expressed image of the Father. He was in the flesh. He was a fully God, fully man. He probably farted when he ate beans. That's not blasphemy to say that. Jesus was baptized. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was given the Holy Spirit. His ministry starts out with him coming to John the Baptist, getting baptized. He goes out into the wilderness and fasts for 40 days. He gets, you know, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. This is my son who I am well pleased. So you got Jesus. You got the Holy Spirit descending as a dove. And you've got what? You've got the Father calling out audibly, this is my son. Trinity right there. He goes out, he does this 40-day fast in the wilderness. No, no water, no food. He's emaciated. He's half dead. The devil comes, tempts him. He resists the temptations. And then what? He comes out of the wilderness a different man. Not different in the same way. I, I mean, you know, he... he he came out of the wilderness a man on fire. He had purpose. He was driven to accomplish the will of his father. But that was his choice. He went to the cross. He was beaten. That was his choice. If you have a problem with Jesus going to the cross and all that stuff... I can understand it, but you're not looking at it from every angle. You're not thinking about what you're having a problem with. Jesus volunteered. He took on himself sin. He became sin. He who knew no sin became sin. That was his choice. It says in the garden, he, my phone is beeping. He wept and he said to the father, he said to the father, Take this cup for me. If you can do this without me having to die, take this cup for me. And he didn't take the cup wasn't taken from him. And some people might read that and think God just ignored him. But no, I think that God said it, it has to be done, son. It, it, there's no other way. And he went to the cross and he took on sin and became the curse. Anyone who hangs on a tree is, is cursed according to the law. God didn't abuse his son. God didn't beat his son. God didn't kill his son. But it had to be done. And God, in his mercy and in his grace, turned his back on his son. 
My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? First time in his entire existence from before he came here to that moment, he was separated from his father. Why? Because he had become sin. He had become the very thing he had come to destroy. And all the, all of the things that happened to him happened because of sin and because of the wickedness of our hearts. And God did not abuse his son. He did not, but he did. It pleased him to break his son. It pleased him to break his son. Why? Because he knew what the outcome was going to be. It says that Jesus went to the cross because of the joy that was set before him. What was the joy? You being reunited with the Father. You and me being reunited with the Father. Correction in the order of things was everything was going to be brought back into place where it was meant to be, or at least the beginning of that was going to happen. There's still some covenant issues here. We've got some things that we, we're still going to have to talk about, but there's some issues as far as the covenant goes that we that haven't been fulfilled yet. God has made promises that haven't been fulfilled yet, but they will be fulfilled. But he accomplished a lot on that cross. And then you have the disciples, you have the Holy Spirit, and you have the birth of the church age, and it goes on to this day. But if you don't believe what it takes to be a Christian, if you don't believe in those things, you're not a Christian. So become a Christian. Repent of your sin. Turn from your wickedness and turn your eyes to Christ and follow after him. Believe, repent, and be saved. That, my friend, is where it's at. That is where it's at, my friend. Just through our belief in Christ, we are given the right to become sons of God. We are new creations in Christ Jesus. Because we believe it is counted as righteousness unto us. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Not by works, lest any man should boast. You cannot earn this. You cannot... You cannot gain it through effort or asceticism or any other path that man might think they can take to obtain righteousness in the eyes of God. You can't do that. You, there's only one way. God does not relate to us by the law anymore. He relates to us by His Son, Jesus Christ, who fulfilled the law. He who knew no sin. Get it? He became sin. He took on to himself all of the things that you did and everything you did was nailed to that cross. The man, Christ Jesus. I'm going to stop talking now. I've been talking for too long. God is a good God. He's not a cosmic abuser. Jesus was and is the firstborn among many brethren. And through Christ and Christ alone, we come to the Father. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for all that you've done, all that you accomplished. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for listening. This has been a episode of Spirit and Truth. I'm Travis, and I will see. Well, I'll I'll talk to you next time. Oh uh, man. <laughs>